Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back into Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Mike McDaniel. Got a great show for you today, a two-for-one podcast. We got two previews here of the two teams participating in Week Zero this weekend. That would be Florida State taking on Duquesne and North Carolina taking on Florida A&M. First, we bring on James Coleman, uh, former Florida State fullback under Bobby Bowden, friend of the podcast. Now he hosts, uh, co-host of the Sports Den Live on the radio down in Florida as well as a writer and contributor for fifth quarter college football. He'll be on to help us break down Florida State, as he always does. The second guest is a new guest on the podcast, helping us to break down the North Carolina Tar Heels. Akil Guruparan, a staff writer for Tar Heel Blog, joins us for the very first time. He had a lot of great insight into Mac Brown, the ability of Mac Brown to recruit, New defensive coordinator Gene Chizik coming back for his second tenure here as a defensive coordinator for North Carolina. Expectations for Chizik replacing Jay Bateman on the defensive side of the football. Expectations for the offense as they replace Sam Howell, the quarterback, with Drake May. Is this a make or break year for Mac Brown? You know, what really constitutes um, success for Carolina from a win loss standpoint here? And what many perceive as a really important year for North Carolina and the trajectory of the football program under Mac Brown. So we get into all that. First you'll hear my inter- first you'll hear Joey with his take on Florida State, then you'll hear my interview with James, followed by Joey's take on North Carolina and my interview with the Keel. So without further ado, uh, let's get into it. A mega podcast here for you today with two great previews. First we'll start with Joey's take on Florida State, followed by my interview with James Coleman. I'm not going to lie to you guys, I am kind of at a loss of what to make of this Florida State program right now. They had a really weird year last year. They finished 5-7. and seven. They lost the first four games in a row to start the year for the first time since like the 70s, I want to say, if I'm remembering that right. Uh, they lost three of those were to Notre Dame, at Wake Forest, and Louisville. Uh, Notre Dame and Louisville being one-score losses, like not terrible. They, they kind of got blown out by Wake Forest. Problem was the other losses to Jacksonville State on the last play of the game. You'll remember that. That was pretty wild. From there, though, the final eight games, they go five and three. The three losses by a combined like twenty-seven points. I mean, that's not bad. Uh, you lost by ten to Clemson, fourteen to North Carolina State, and three to Florida. Like, not awful. Uh, and you got five wins in there, including a win against Miami, uh, wins against Boston College and North Carolina. Like. I don't know. This is a program that ever since Jimbo left and and the roster has it, it kind of got into way worse shape even than he left it. And, and then finally now Mike Norvell and, and his staff trying to rebuild it. We've been kind of waiting around and convincing ourselves that Florida State was going to be quote unquote back. And 
I'm just starting to wonder. I don't know. I mean, is it is it ever going to get quote unquote back? Um, is, is Florida State what made them Florida State? Was it really uh, this program in particular, or was it something between Bobby Bowden and Jimbo Fisher, who were you know the head coaches of this program going back to I don't know what the 70s or something? I mean. I, I don't know. Um, and so that's it's, it's going to be a weird year and an interesting one to see, I think, and, and kind of figure out where things are at for Florida State. I think this year probably tells us a good amount about is this Mike Norvell thing going to work out. They get the the, the really weird – it's in a it's a neutral site game, we'll call it, uh, but it's, it's an hour away from Baton Rouge. Give me a break. That's not a neutral site. They're playing LSU in the Superdome uh, on Sunday night of Labor Day weekend. That's actually their second game. They'll open early here against Duquesne. Um, that's that, that's a weird spot as well with LSU being kind of a weird team in a weird spot. Don't know. Uh, you get a week off and then you go to Louisville on uh, Friday Friday night, the 16th of September. Uh, you get consecutive out-of-conference games to end the year at, at home, both against uh, Louisiana and Florida. So Billy Napier's old team and his new team. I don't know. There's just a lot of weirdness in this schedule. There's a lot of weirdness in this program. I don't know what to make of them. I, if you, please don't judge me if I just pick him to go six and six, and I, I'm you know that's good enough. I, I could see it probably anywhere between like four and eight, possibly eight and four. Like I, I don't know what this team is. I don't know what's gonna what, what, what's happening here. What kind of trajectory they're really realistically on? Um, hopefully, for Florida State fans' sake, I hope you can kind of see a trajectory throughout the year here, um, and and hopefully it is moving in a positive direction, but. Who knows? They've been kind of wandering in the wilderness for the last five or so years, basically, since Jimbo Fisher left and uh, left with more or less a bare cupboard behind for Willie Taggart and now uh, Mike Norvell to try to restock and reshape this whole program and rebuild the culture in so many ways. So I, I don't know. Uh, Going to be an interesting year. I, I I am very curious to see what Florida State does and, and how they do. I think it could go in a lot of different directions. For the sake of picking a record, again, let's just say 6-6. Six and six. Maybe they finally make it back to a bowl game, and maybe that's positive trajectory, positive uh, positive progress. But for Florida State fans, I could see you getting impatient, you know, knowing what this program has been and, and looking at that and saying, well, that's not good enough. Even even in this year, year three under Mike Norvell, maybe that's still not enough. I don't know. I'm curious to see. Anyways, let's go 6-6 six and six on Florida State. And uh, whatever happens, hey, go Knowles. All right, it's time to talk Florida State. James Coleman joining me, former Florida State fullback, radio personality, Sports Den Live, fifth quarter. Throws a hell of a tailgate. James, what's going on, man? This is going on. I think the, the downfall of Florida State has been how my t- how good my tailgates have been. So, like, maybe the players are showing <laughs> up and getting away from before the games. I don't, I don't know what's going on, but. Yeah, man, I appreciate you having me. I was going to say, I think you can blame me for the fall of the Willie Taggart era because the first time I met you in person was the was Willie Taggart's first home game at Florida State, and that was the uh, debacle against Virginia Tech. A Virginia Tech game that was not very good that year. Um, Florida State fell apart, and then Taggart was fired about a year and a half later. So I think I can be, I can be blamed for the downfall of, of the Willie Taggart era. I mean, definitely, it's a lot, a lot of good blame to go around, but that was very, quite the shocking thing. I remember that 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 summer, just like, like yo, how could you lose to the team? They they literally lost everything. It was just, you know, yeah, it, it is what it is. It's kind of like you go and you're you're date you're dating and you just you, now you know what you don't like, 
and that's kind of what how I how I um chop up the Willie Taggart era is just you know you just got to get better like got to get got to make better choices in your relationship. Hopefully we've done that, but right now it's eh, we'll see. It's rough. Well, yeah, let, let's start there. So like we're we're somehow already entering year three of Mike Norvell. It's hard to believe. Um, uh, COVID was kind of a throwaway year. Uh, but it didn't get off to the best start with Norvell in terms of how he was handling things during COVID. And I remember he was receiving a lot of criticism before he even coached a game yet, right? Then they finally get on the field, and it was an up and down year one. Year two, last year, five and seven, a little bit better, right? Stepped back in a better direction. It was his first, like, whole, I'd I call it real season, right? Because it's non-COVID affected. You know, you got all your players. You know, you're not you're not worried about who's available, who's not. Guys aren't testing positive the day of the game. You don't got any of that going on for 2020. So 2021 rolls around, five and seven, a little bit better. What's the temperature of the fan base right now, James? We're talking about uh, talking about a little bit before we hit record, but what's the temperature of the fan base for for those kind of on the outside looking in? Um, show me. I think if you took a general consensus, whether they're pro. Uh, Mike Norvell, whether they're against Mike Norvell, it's really, or if they're neutral, it's really just at this point, let's put a competent product on the field. And I think it's been, you know, the media has done such a good job of trying to protect Mike that it's kind of bit them in the butt. And a lot of it had to do with this. Everybody just hated Jimbo. Everybody was just so... um, unenthusiastic about tag whether it was about how tagger left or being fired before three years really got fired in 18 21 games so he didn't even get a chance to have two seasons uh, before you got rid of him um but the athletic director that said at the time six and six is not the standard um you know you fire a coach in the middle of the year you think you're going to make a big splash by getting another power five coach you saw what your rival did with dan mullen um, even what you did with Willie taking him from Oregon is a big boy move. It just didn't work. But you Florida took Dan Mullen from Mississippi State after they fired their coach in the middle of the year around the same time. And you did all that to wait till after the season to hire a G5 coach. So there are people who are just like, give him a chance. And there are some people like, there's no way in hell you're going to convince me that this was the first choice. So a lot of Florida State fans are like, this is our fourth choice. And now we're just rolling out here. And now you guys are trying to sell me a bill of goods. Um, then, you know, everybody talks about the, the hype, you know, the hype train that comes with your new coach. Oh, they're the greatest in this. He's one of the most organized coaches. He's one of this. He's one of that. He's this, you know, they talked about all these good things. But there are some glaring holes and some glaring weaknesses. Some things that nobody, like, he's a young coach. He's four years, he was four years at Memphis, never built a program. Fuentes had built Memphis. Um, he came in and, and made it better. But at the end of the day, he didn't start off with Memphis like being, you know, three wins. Like he didn't take over for a fired Memphis coach. He took on for a Memphis coach who developed it and moved on to the next to the next big thing. Obviously, um, you're more familiar with Fuentes right now than um, and, 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 you know, than I would be. Hey, how it worked or didn't. Glad work, that's but, over. That's all I'll say. About uh, that. Glad that's over. You know, so Mike comes in, and then no matter how organized you are. And no matter how much you prepare for everything, very few coaches have nationwide pandemic in their coaches' book and how they would how they would respond to that. You know, we haven't had this in Spanish flu in the nineteen in the early nineteen hundreds. So 
you know, he comes in and then it's like you're trying to get to know the players. You're trying to get to know who the movers and shakers are, boosters, who are the alum, notable alumni you need to get to know. And what I will say is what Florida State does with the South, and there's, they want acceptable guys. Like, I'm not the most acceptable. I'm a really nice guy. I give book bags to kids, to poor kids and stuff like that every year. But I'm also, I can be abrasive. I can be brash. I say what's on my mind. I, I, I'm very much so a fullback in my everyday life. I embody, like, if you think of it, like, what does a fullback act like in real life? It's probably, probably one point to me. So, <laughs> but I'm not Charlie. If Charlie was the, the, the salt of the earth. I'm not Derrick Brooks. Derrick Brooks is probably going to be the president of Florida State one day. Um, I'm not, um, you know, what we call, what we consider Seminole royalty. And, you know, but they're trying to put these guys around them. And those aren't the guys who have the pulse of the fan base or the pulse of recruiting that can help get you back. But you're trying to learn that. You're trying to learn all these good guys to have around. So Mike's trying to learn all these things. And you don't have your players around. So you don't get a chance for your players to learn you. And you make some some mistakes that you would know not to make if you were a Florida guy. Like, you know, the the the, the Marvin Wilson thing, which wasn't really a big deal, right? But it was. So Marvin Wilson, you know, Mike says I after the um who was it? I think it was the guy kneeled the guy got his got with a officer kneeled on the guy's very um what no matter how you feel about it, doesn't matter. It was a very trying time for our nation. Was, and there were young men who were nervous and were scared of when your bread is buttered by African-American players. I don't care where you stand on the fence. You probably want to pander a little bit when millions of dollars are on the line. I mean, I can't blame you when 80% of your roster comes from this kind of place and probably has some kind of experience. Nick, so Saban, Nick, Saban, Nick Saban was, was leading a, a parade, a protest, right? I mean, he was leading the... So, I mean, so I'm going to tell you, that, the, and this is the, the, the contrast to what happened. So what Mike did was Mike got a black reporter, a black beat reporter, um, who was really, really good. He writes for the, um, covers the Raiders, to write about a black issue and how he encountered his black players. And what it read was Mike went over and above what was necessary. He texted every player on his roster individually he individually reached out that's a lot that's 125 souls that's a lot of that's a lot of reaching out that's a lot of text messages a lot of data and for marvin wilson to come out and say no nah, that ain't happening ain't nobody hit me up just completely boom just like the kid made Matumbo smacks the ball out of the air to something that was good now what mike did was send a mass text message he didn't reach out individually but he did sending a mass text message saying hey if you need me, you want someone to talk to, talk to, I'm here for you. That's dope. That's all you had to say. But you put a little extra on it, a little extra seasoning on it, and then it got spit back out. As opposed to what Nick Saban did was Nick Saban got in front of it. Matter of fact, Booster said, I'm going to not write a check. And Nick Saban doubled down and said, that's cool. Don't worry about it. We don't ever want your money again. You're going to lose all your perks. And as I put on it, as it went viral, I put the only reason you write million dollar checks, and I, this is not black or white. I would, if I was rich, rich, I would do the same thing. It's to own people, like and to have power. Like that's why you own, like you own an NFL franchise to own people. Like that's what you're doing. You're owning some of the like the elite elite. If I could do pay a million dollars and I had it, and I could just walk around Alabama and basically have everybody kowtow to me, 
I do it. Like it, it's a power trip. I ain't gonna lie to you. As long as you're good, you mean well. But but Mike had those things that he had to encounter, as well as not having adequate stripping conditioning because players in the hood. I'm sorry, there are not squat racks in the projects or in the apartments. There aren't there aren't um superpower treadmills. There aren't some places don't even have good fields for you to train in. You got to face all this stuff. And then when you finally get you gigs, on top of not knowing if you're going to have a season, 2020 was wild. I can't wait till I have to explain to my grandkids what 2020 was like. And then you go to 2021, now you're finally, like, you don't even have a child. They didn't have a child hall until the middle of last season. It was Things were still kind of wild that were still kind of closed up. This was the first year he's had everything available to him. So when people are like, now the guys have socks. It's the first year you, you had almost complete control of your nutrition. It's the first year you can guarantee they're in the weight room. So a lot of things he's able to do now, I mean, this year. So what that does is it eliminates excuses. But a lot of fans are over, obviously they're kind of over the hurt. If you were hurt about tag being fired, not because you liked them or you thought he was good, just you didn't like the way it happened. You're kind of over that. But now if you're on the Mike Norvell bandwagon, the wait and see, Year three is the show me here. And I think, you know, with what they did in the transfer portal, what they did in recruiting, I think they've done some good things. How real is the Deion Sanders stuff? Oh, Deion coming to Florida State? Yeah. How real is that? If doesn't work, I don't think it's real. I think it's very good publicity. Um, And I think what it does is with with Deion. All right. Say this the right way. What Dion does an incredibly good job of is making sure people talk about Dion. Always has, always will, will always be the talk of whatever. Now, outside of that, I you know, it, it's really like nobody's gonna take a guy from from it's hard enough taking a guy from G5. It's even harder to take a guy from FCS to put him into a a powerhouse program, whether you feel Florida State is or not, it's still a it's still a program that like when you post this and you retweet this out, people want to know about what Florida State is doing. It's one of the, the most watched programs nationally. Um, it's one of the most popular, most iconic helmets. And you know, a lot of it you have the second all time, really the all time winningest head football coach um in history. Um I'll say there's only one coach that's better than him and that's Nick Saban. So there's a lot of things that come with it, but like I wouldn't even want to take it if I'm Dion, because you got to come back home. You already kind of have a hard time coming back home anyway. But what happens when you mess it up? Because you put you putting a guy who has no experience on this level, it's different than coaching at an HBCU. And I'm not neglecting HBCUs. I love HBCUs. It's just not the amount of real pressure that you have. Like if um if um Devo Moore comes, which is our big time booster, and says he he wants you chopped, they're gonna get rid of you because they're expecting, you know, him to leave a significant piece of his his estate to the to the university when he dies. He's gonna die in the next 20 years. If some of these other boosters, you know, do it like we have that kind of power in our boosters right now. You don't get that at HBCU. He is the most powerful man on Jackson State's campus. You won't be the most powerful person in Tallahassee if you come over here. But I just think it's also not in the best interest of the program. Now, in 10 years, if he develops Jackson State and then he moves on somewhere else and then we want to get him, 
God bless. But like just to be to be coaching for two years, let's, let's see at that point, if they fire Mike this year, Dion and Mike both got to their respective schools at the same time. So to hire a coach that's got three to four years of experience is literally doing the exact same thing that you just did, except for he's on a lower level. I had the same thought. I think if Dion shows like, all right, I can win at Jackson State, then I can win at a G5, or I can win at a low-level T5, and he shows he can do it multiple places. But most importantly, he shows he can do it at the FBS level. I think that's when Florida State maybe might want to take a swing if things aren't working out with Norvell or whoever later. Um, obviously, Dion would have to go to another program. He'd have to be there a few years. It would probably be post Norvell, be whoever the next guy is. If that guy didn't work out, then maybe you take a swing on Dion. I just don't think time makes any sense at all. So I, I see that all as media hype. Um, like you said, I, I think it's it, it gets people talking about the Florida State program. It gets people talking about Dion. Most importantly, and you're right, Dion's always taking care of Dion. <laughs> so it's not a surprise that that his name's in. Dion uh, care about one person. Dion only cares about one person. That's Dion Sanders. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. All right, cool. So let's talk about the um, let's talk about the offense a little bit. So, a decent amount of talent returning to the roster, and it starts with Jordan Travis. Like, this has been a really interesting career arc for him because you know it feels like he's always just kind of been fighting for that chance to be the starter. You know, um, the last couple of years. Well, now it's his show, right? Like, this is this is it. This is his offense now. Travis always has seemed to me like a quarterback who's got a ton of upside. And I, and I felt like I've seen that every time he takes the field. I'm like, this kid, like he doesn't necessarily, he's not necessarily polished yet, but he's got kind of like the it factor a little bit when he's out there, a little bit of swag to him, which I think is great for, for Florida State's offense. When he's out on the field, he can run a little bit. He's got a big arm. I mean, what are the expectations for Travis now as he enters his third year with the program? Um, to again to take another big leap. He he took an. I like what you said. That was probably the most fair assessment that I've heard anybody say about Jordan Travis in a media setting. And, um, we have to remember Jordan Travis is. It's like this movie Color Purple. All my life, I've had, all my life I've had to fight, and it's kind of like when he was at Louisville, he had to fight. He came here to Florida State, um, in a situation where when he first got here. Louisville wouldn't grant the exception for him to come here, so he couldn't play. Then the argument was, um, so they brought the guy, what was it, with the uh, water pistol arm from Wisconsin in, and then you had Jordan, you had Jordan Travis here, and and you had James Blackman, and then he couldn't make it there. And the argument was, well, Willie Tiger didn't want him to play. Kendall Browse wants him to play, and then when Kendall Browse had the opportunity. He only brought him in to run. He still didn't bring him in to, like, throw the ball. So then it was like, can he throw? Can he throw? Can he throw? And I remember when Kenny Dillingham, our former offensive coordinator, came here, he said it's asinine that people think that this boy can't throw. He's like, he's at a Division I level. We know he can throw. It's just has he ever been asked to throw. So even then, the, the COVID year, you have James Blackman coming back, and he stinks up the place. You have or, – or he gets hurt. I forgot what it was, but – the. the and that's what's wild is that Mike Norvell watched James Blackman play against Arizona State. He threw like a thousand picks that game and said, ah, that's going to be the quarterback to lead me. Like, he didn't go get nobody else. It was just like, I'm like, how can you watch that game and oh. not go, I need a, I need a grad chance for a stat. I need somebody. 
That bold decision. But you come in, Trevor Purdy, you, for whatever reason, you do some tackling circuit with Trevor Purdy, he gets hurt. Tate Rodemaker plays the worst game I've ever seen from a quarterback outside of Mackenzie Milton against Jacksonville State. And the only reason you didn't lose to Jacksonville State in Norvell's first year is because Jordan Travis comes in and saves the day. And then how do you treat him after he saves the day? You bench him again. You, you never let him get the confidence or take his lumps. So you come back. He feels like you're going to get – you feel like you have your quarterback. You, you bring in um, Mackenzie Milton. You're trying to have the Disney movie going on because if it would have worked, we, they would have written a movie about Mike Norvell in this situation because McKenzie wasn't supposed to walk. And I, I'm very proud of what he accomplished, but he's just not, not – and now he's not a good football player. It happens to all of us. If somebody said James Coleman is not a good football player right now, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to get mad. You're right. I'm washed. It happens. McKenzie had a catastrophic injury. That's what happened. So you come in. You should have started Jordan at the game. Or excuse me, let him continue to start. You get caught up in in a drive that in, in a few drives that look better than what they were because the statistics of the film doesn't lie. Mackenzie Milton did not lead you in a comeback against Notre Dame. Jordan Travis led you in a comeback against Notre Dame. Mackenzie had one really good throw, and Treshawn Ward scored a touchdown. So you had these things happen. Then you play them against Jackson, Jacksonville State, you lose. You play them against Wake Forest, and then you try to bring Travis back in, and you lose. You bring Travis, it's like you go on a four game skid and then you win when Jordan Travis is playing. And like every time Jordan Travis gets some traction, you do something to make him question himself, even though he did take a tremendous jump. But this year, with him knowing, not having to look over his shoulder and not all of that stuff, he has been doing very, very well. He's sitting in the pocket a little bit more. But I also attribute that to getting better talent around him on the offensive line and the skill position. Again, Kenny Dillingham told me, and I thought he was crazy and he was drunk, is that if you get average athletes around Jordan Travis, Jordan Travis is a Heisman Trophy candidate. I still think that's a bit of a reach, but I have seen the talent increase in the wide receiver room, the offensive line being somewhat better, and the running back room getting better by age that makes me kind of believe what he's saying because this offense with him at the helm is explosive and can, can hit a home run at any given minute. And if you could do that, that gives you a fighting chance, especially if you've got a good defense. Time of possession, consistency is what you really want to win championships. But right now, Florida State's not a championship team. Let's not even fool ourselves. But to win eight, nine ball games, Florida State is there because they can hit a home run at any given minute. And if they can jump on you, they've got a defense that can lean on you and make it tough for you to come back. I mean, offensively, especially at you know with the skill positions. I mean, Trayshawn Ward's gone, right? But hmm. Corbin's gone. Trayshawn Ward's back. Jayshawn Corbin. Corbin's gone. Ward's back. Yeah. So yeah. with Ward back, I mean, the expectation to to fill the shoes of Corbin. I mean, how's the coaching staff feel about him stepping in um, and having more of kind of a full time role in the running back position? Well, I think what they're feeling is that he's going to be a guy that can help move the chains. Treshawn Ward has elite vision. He just doesn't have elite speed. But he's a guy that can get you 20 yards and 20 yards, and he can carry it 20 times if he needs to. He's, he's a thick enough back to be able to do that. But in Lawrence Toyfili is a cha- is a good change of pace back. I really think he's more of a slot receiver than he is a running back. 
but he's explosive. He's a big play waiting to happen. He's probably not the guy you want consistently running between the tackles. But again, like I said, change the pace back. The running back that Florida State fans need to be excited for for this year and the next couple of years is Oregon transfer Trey Benson. Trey Benson is a big back and explosive. I mean, I think he was like a 10-6 guy in the 100 coming out of Mississippi. And, you know, I don't really know much. 40 times could be embellished. Ain't nobody embellished in track times. You got to run 100. That's fully automatic time running against people. But he is a guy that hits the hole hard. And if he can get – if you try to arm tackle him when he gets to that next level, he can actually create separation and be a home run threat. Um, I like him. He's not Greg Jones because Greg Jones was just a man, like uh, uh, like the Incredible Hulk. But this guy's like a, um, a running back that was at Florida State that go that went to transfer to Louisville named Eric Shelton. Um, big guy, explosive, um, runs hard, and you know I think he's going to be, uh, I think he's going to be a great, great um, addition to this backfield, and I'm excited to see what he can do, especially late in games. You mentioned one Oregon transfer. I'm going to mention another in the receiving corps because he got a lot of hype coming out of spring. Micah Pittman. I mean, mm-hmm. how how big of a role is he expected to have coming in as a transfer, considering what he was able to do in the spring, kind of the hype that came came with him um, because he, I mean, it felt like the coaching staff was really talking about him a lot. And I mean, that's a lot of, a lot of pressure coming in on a transfer, you know, to, to come and support Jordan Travis in this offense, but certainly there's some talent there for sure. Very shifty, um, runs really good routes and thick. 5'11", 203, really, like me, his dad was a running back. So I was going to say he's built like a running back, but he's built like his dad. So, I mean, that's kind of just not the upper body quite that his dad, because his dad was a beast. In the upper upper body part, but lower lower half, just not not traditional not traditional wide receiver legs. Got some tree tree trunks, but the guy that you want running a quick slant, get him in the space. And what Florida State is going to do with a lot of play actions, having him run what they call the jerk route, basically a slant and release, uh, basically like stuff like that. You want, and if he's open, getting him the ball, letting him be able to separate, get you eight to eight to fifteen yards and chunk. Um, that's kind of what you want. So you want him to have to be accounted for by your your more physical athletic DB so that you can open up the other two wide receiver positions. And this won't get spooky if these other two if these other two wide receiver positions can be anything what of what people have um projected. Florida State was 105th nationally in third down conversions last year, and I know that they gave up a lot of negative plays that really put themselves into tough positions on third down. What Mike Norvell wanted to do was bolster the offensive line. I know he went out and got Lyles to transfer from Wisconsin, try to bolster the interior offensive line. I mean, how much better is this unit than a year ago up front? The fact that we've got, well, we had 20. I think we lost three. But to have 20 bodies that look like they belong is, um, Absolutely incredible. I mean, there's guys like Kenyon Kenya Charlton, who's not only too deep, who will probably end up getting some reps as the season goes along, who came in like very hefty. Like the boy, the boy did not mind eating grandma's meals. But and I and I laugh and it's a funny, but like the first spring practice, I literally saw him because I was at the first spring, first spring shorts practice. I was at the first full pad practice, and then I didn't come back again to the spring game. What his body did in that short amount of time was incredible. He was, he, and then when I saw him again in Jacksonville at the practices, the boy looks like a whole different man. He's lost a person. So that means he's committed to being in good shape. And as a freshman, that's big. But you got guys like Julian Armella, who's a true freshman, 
who's coming in. Quayshawn Sapp, who's a true freshman, who are both swing guys. Armella can play guard or tackle. Sapp can play guard or center. And what sucks about Lyles, Lyles was a guard or a center guy, but he got hurt. But in that, that, that that's kind of tough. But you got guys like Dimitri Emmanuel and Jackson, and Jackson Turntime, Les Harris, three transfers that came in that can come in and give you some really, really good reps um, in bolstered offensive line. Now, center is going to be, have to be something be something where somebody develops and steps up because, again, Lyles is out for the year. Maurice Smith is um, banged up, and we don't know what's going on with him. But you got Darius Washington, Thomas Schrader, and then you got Quayshawn Sapp, again, a true freshman who have all taken snaps at center um, at some point during fall camp. But, I mean, just the fact that you got everybody over 300 pounds is a step in the right direction. Your two tackles, you know, your left tackle is 334. Your, um, your, um, your other tackle is about 310. Or you can put 336 Jackson Turntime out there. And you're really, really solid and thick on the interior. Um, 6'2", 300 with Dimitri Emanuel. Um, you know, Darius Washington's 300. Dylan Gibbons, 327. So you got guys that can kind of push the pile that are a little bit stronger, a little bit thicker, and can actually, like, you know, give you a little bit of time. And that's what it was crazy about watching this fall, you know, the couple of scrimmages I got a chance to see was Jordan Travis actually having three to four seconds in the pocket to be able to find the second and third check down, which is something we haven't seen. Now, when teams have to account for the RPO, like the ability, basically the ability for him to run, the runners that we have, as well as a six seven Johnny Wilson that can, that's a jump ball expert, a Deuce Span who's 6'4", 203, but runs a legit 4'3", that can stretch the field, and a Micah Pittman that, that's there. You got so many options. And with the offensive line that can give you a little bit of time, it's going to be fun. It could be fun to watch. Now, when you play your Clemsons, your Miamis, your Floridas of the world, it's going to be a little more competitive. But when you play your Duquesnes, you should be able to see um, some dominance. Yeah, one two week zero matchups in the NCC. <laughs> you got you got Florida State and you got North Carolina both playing this weekend. Um, let's talk about the defense real quick because Adam Fuller's unit, I think, the the jump that was made from year one to year two. I know it started off rocky last year in September, but I thought the final two months Florida State played really well defensively, right? Now you lose two really important pieces on the defensive line, Tremaine Johnson, Kier Thomas move on, 18 and a half of the 33 sacks, right? You're losing some talent up front on defense, no question about it. But the secondary, I think, is young, really talented, got some good experience last year. The defense as a whole, I thought, made made great strides as the year went on. You know, what's your feeling on the defense at the end of the season? Everybody's going to say our strength is in our secondary, and rightfully so. Kevin Knowles, Amarion Amar- uh, Cooper, true freshman last year, was wild as two three stars that came in. Kevin Knowles made a name for himself against Miami. Cooper made a name against himself against Florida and quite a couple other different games. Um, came in, balled out. Those are your those are two of your starters right now. Uh, Renardo Green has been solid since he's gotten there. So that's a lot of a lot of guys who have been making plays, a lot of depth. Now your safeties are both draftable guys. Like they're two guys that you're expecting to probably declare at the end of the year. And Akeem Dent, who's very talented, Akeem Dent had a great freshman year, um, was hurt his sophomore year. If he can catch picks, man, this kid is going to be um, a, a favorite because he has a chance to take him to the house. Same thing with Jamie Robinson. Um, and Jamie Robinson probably would have changed the Notre Dame game 
especially with his hitting. People got to remember he couldn't play the first half because his last game in South Carolina, he got hit with a targeting penalty. So he had to miss the first half in the Notre Dame game. But he's a guy, Shaheen Brown from out of Lake City, Columbia, um, is a backup. Great secondary. Um, I want to say a name. Um, I call it the Old Testament name because I can't pronounce it right, but it's like Azariah. It's one of them Bible names. It sounds like a Bible name. It sounds like somebody who's, whose name is spoken in red letters with Jesus. But that kid, everybody talks. I'm going to say this. this, is, this is, and this isn't crazy. Don't, don't look at me crazy. The people who listen are going to be like, James, you cap. Everybody and their mom knew who Travis Hunter was. Travis Hunter played in Atlanta. Travis Hunter is a phenomenal athlete. He's probably going to make plays on the other side of the ball at offense. If Travis Hunter had to play corner in a, in a power five system, he wasn't ready. His body is physically not there. This kid, Azariah Thomas, is NFL has an NFL frame now. Just wasn't as hyped because he didn't do all the things that um, Travis Hunter did. But the kid is good. He's going to be known. Now, everybody talks about that. But now, Kalen DeLoach, who I can joke around saying that's my little brother because I talk to his dad all the time. Once he got to play, man, there's something wrong with that kid. He, he wired different, man. He likes to bang at 211 pounds. Reminds me of my guy, Gino. Hey, not big, but it comes in and pops. And rest of the guy, rest of the day with my guy, Gino. But this kid, Tatum Bethune, I'm not going to lie. I said, man, I don't want nobody from UCF, man. I don't like fake national championship guys. I was wrong. It's wrong. I have no problem admitting when I was wrong. This kid is nasty. I like him, man. That is a super upgrade at linebacker, something that we haven't had at linebacker. We haven't had a linebacker that anybody should fear in quite some time. Bring in DJ Lundy, who's, who's a little bit more svelte, and Lamar Green, who's got tons of, tons of experience. And you got something good. But that D-line, so Darren McClendon, much improved, finally developing into a pass rusher. Dennis Briggs Jr., really good, bigger defensive end, going to help give you what Kier Thomas gave you. Robert Cooper, Fabian Lovett on the inside, Jared Jackson, Joshua Farmer, guys who are young who are coming in and playing. But I'm going to say this now. Now, last year, I said there was a kid named Jermaine Johnson. And I told everybody that Jermaine Johnson was cold. I said, but I didn't know if Jermaine Johnson was looking good in practice because our offensive line was that bad or because basically because he's going up against guys from the three and 16 or if he's that good. So it turns out he was that good. Jared Verse is probably on par, could do things better than what I saw Jermaine Johnson do. Jermaine Johnson was just a little bit bigger, so that made him more stout in the run game. But from an athletic perspective, Jared Verse is just a is just a different animal than what he is. And if he's able to do what I've been seeing him do, and, and, and basically if that means something like what I saw last year with Jermaine Johnson, with Jared Verse, I think we're going to be better at a def as a defensive unit. Does that mean he'll get 18 sacks? I doubt it. That's incredible what he was able to do. He also got that without really having another defensive end that really, really was pushing. But I think with – so check this right here, Florida State fans, right, or ACC. If Fuller might kill me, I don't know if this is a front. It should be if it's not. Give my son get, – get, I'm going to tell them if, it, if they do it, I'm going to joke because my, my three-year-old was typing on Adam Fuller's desk um, a couple months ago, and I said he's putting in some defense. So the defense looked good, blaming on the three-year-old. If it looks bad, the three-year-old designed it. So I give him an out, too. You can have Derek McClendon, Fabian Lovett, 
Dennis Briggs Jr. bumping down to a three technique in a Jerry versus Pat in third and long situations. You can basically have four pass rushers in there and still be able to account for the run game and just bend your ear, let them bend their ears back and go after the quarterback. We ain't been able to say that in quite some time, man. That's sexy. I ain't even gonna lie. I don't have to go up against it, so I ain't got to worry about it. But that's some. It's and here's the wildest part. So there, we have on our two deep, right? On this two deep roster, you have one, two, three, four, five. You have six seniors. So out of 44 players, six of them are guys that won't come back. And of those six, like two are really in positions where it really hurts you. Like you'll have to find a new starter potential. That's crazy. Like so, that means if Florida State can win eight games, and Mike Norvell's biggest recruiting job, then Mike Norvell's biggest recruiting job would be to try to get most of these guys to come back. And if he can, now you're in a position now where Florida State can now be fans can be excited about the true turnaround. And I think that's kind of cool. For the first time, you can be excited about something. I think it really does speak to the job that Norvell has done already, like in basically a year zero type situation because of COVID and then kind of bounce back the way they did after that Jacksonville State loss last year to really kind of rally the troops and play better football the last few months. I, I think to have so many contributors in the 2D being underclassmen, I think really sets Florida State up well, where if they do have a really nice season, like you said, I think you know, fans can really get excited about the true turnaround, which, you know, I'm I'm there with Norvell in terms of I think he's done a nice job. Um, I think this is really a make or break year. And I think, you know, when you look at the schedule, James, we can get to that now. Like, this is a workable schedule for Florida State to, to get back to a bowl game, which I don't think is obviously the standard in Florida State, but it's another step in the progression, you know, of this program. At minimum, I think you can get to a bowl game. You open up here in week zero this upcoming Saturday against Duquesne. You know, you're going to have trouble finding a line for that game. Florida State will be like a 40-point favorite at least. You know, you win that game and get yourself prepared for LSU the following weekend, which is a huge week one matchup, you know, for the Seminoles. Um, All eyes are on that LSU game. You get a nice little tune-up here in week zero, a little warm-up game to, to get you to that point. I know Florida State can't overlook anybody right now after that Jacksonville State game last year. But it is Duquesne, James. It should be fine in week zero. Should be. You should be. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, you never know because, again, Jacksonville State. But we got Jordan Travis time, so we should win that. Um, you know, what I tell people about Duquesne, well, we have to look for Duquesne. And really a lot of this is learning. That was just funny because I was just talking to um, a former um, offensive lineman during the national championship, um, the 99 run, um, Eric Thomas. Not to be confused with motivational speech, but like this guy's name is really Eric Thomas. But, um, and I was just saying, like, you have to learn to win. You have to learn how to take the well out of people. And that's a it, that's a skill that has to be developed, like, especially when you had to beat out of you. Um, it's just, you know, I think Florida State, I, I said on a I said on a podcast today that I want Florida State to I think Florida State should win 
40, I think 48, I think it's no 55, 14. And but if it's 48 to 7, or even you know, 42, 14, I'm not mad. It just depends on how it looks. If it's 40, if it's like if we're going into halftime and it's 28 or 35 to 0, then everything we needed to do was accomplished. And I'm cool with that. But what I want to see is you just you physically make somebody submit to your will and you take the wins out of them. Like we've had chances. You had you had that chance against Syracuse last year. You had that chance against again North Carolina the last two years. You jumped on them and then you allowed them to come back. You really more so ran out of time than you did just take it out of them. Um, I'm trying to think what Boston College, you had that chance. But you allow these guys to come back when all you needed was just one more score, and it would have been over. The guys would have packed their, packed up their gear and basically been mentally out of it. And you know, once they learn if they can start that with Duquesne, then you go to the LSU. You know, you're going to be in a dogfight. You know, you're going to be in a four quarters game. No matter what, it's still LSU. It's still talent. It's still pride. But if you kind of you have a chance to be three and one. And really, four and zero in the in the first in your first month of playing, your first four games, you do that. You put the nation on notice. It completely changes your your recruiting profile for twenty three, and it jumpstarts your twenty twenty four because you got some big time recruits that are committed in your twenty twenty four class that are going to probably have some other people come in. And there's some guys that are waiting around in the wings that want to come to Florida State that just haven't committed. They want to see if the change is true and not just all verbiage. And I think, um, you know, the next step for Mike Norvell is, is, is he a good coach? I think he is, but you are your record, right? You won eight games in two years. He is a good guy. I think he wants to win. I think he has a great personality that could be here for years. But at the end of the day, this isn't, I'm not saying Florida State. This ain't St. Peter on the entrance to heaven and looking at and looking at your con, looking at your conscience and what you've done in life. This is big time college football. You got to be ruthless. You got to you got to show it on the field. And if the guys aren't if the guys aren't playing for you, then it really doesn't matter how good of a guy you. It it that you you're, you're what you show. But I will say, he has turned turned the roster around. And if they can, if those guys, and I've told these players this. Doesn't really matter if you guys believe in him or not. That man makes five million dollars a year, and you make eight hundred and fifty dollars a month in your scholarship. If you want to take care of your family and change it through NIL, or you want to take care of your family and go to the NFL, your best bet is to make him look good. That's the fastest way you can do, you can change your circumstance. Because this petty bullshit that a lot of these kids do, I can't subscribe to it. I don't care. I got. I, I tell people I play for Jeff Bob. Jeff Bob is a again phenomenal guy. Terrible offensive coordinator. He won three ACC championships. We were in it for two two national championships. We probably should have won four ACCs. And it wasn't because he was an offensive guru. It was because all of us wanted to go to the NFL. And we went out there and made, he put me in some very precarious positions where we had to fight our way out. And that, but it, that's just what these guys have to get ready to do. I, I, the way I, the way I look at this too, and you mentioned like it could 
you know, set up to be a potential four and oh September if you're able to get by LSU. I mean, I, I think Florida, you know, you look at by the way, you can't escape Brian Kelly in week one, I guess. Back to back years you have Brian Kelly just two different schools. So that's fun. Um now I, I do favor the LSU matchup over having to play Notre Dame last year. I think Florida State should feel a bit better, even though you got to go to New Orleans to play that game. You feel a bit better playing an LSU team in year one under Brian Kelly than you did. In, in you know against Notre Dame, whatever it was year twelve under Brian Kelly, um, Duquesne, LSU, Louisville, BC to open LSU's neutral site may as well be a road game though going to New Orleans at Louisville home against BC in the following the following two weeks, and like you said, if Florida State's able to start off three and one four and zero, you know it sets up for a very interesting October. You know the meteor schedule, Wake Forest, which you know Florida State's got plenty of athletes to overwhelm Wake Forest. Wake Forest without Sam Hartman, we'll see what that looks like. Um, Sam Hartman might even be back by then, who knows. At NC State, home against Clemson, th- those are kind of your next three games. That's, that's a tougher stretch of the schedule. But the last five, Georgia Tech, you can you know get a nice little workout in, get a nice little sweat in while you're like a 17-point favorite. At Miami, it's a rivalry game. We know that Miami game stands out every year. At Syracuse, home against Louisiana, then home against Florida. So you get Billy Napier's old team at home. Then you get Billy Napier the following week at home in year one at Florida. I mean, this feels like, to me, James, this feels like seven or eight wins. Like, that's kind of where, I, that's kind of where I'm at with, with this schedule. I think the ceiling is higher. But I think if we want to if we want to play it safe, I think the absolute floor for this team is a bowl game. I don't see any way that Florida State does not make a bowl game. Um, I, I'm going to go with seven and five, play it safe. I think they go seven and five, maybe uh, four and four or five and three in the ACC. Four and four in the ACC means that you know they they probably dropped a couple non-con games though. So I'm going to go five and three in the ACC, seven and five overall. I think that it's a solid building block year. For Norvell, um, mm-hmm. I think they definitely make strides forward. I think the fan base will feel good about, you know, 2024. I don't know if that will necessarily – I think outsiders will feel good about Florida State going into 2024. I don't know about – or 2023, I guess, sorry. I don't know how fans will feel about – Florida State fans will feel about a 7-5 and five record. I guess it depends on how they got there, right? hmm Are you playing competent games? How did you lose? That's the uh, that's the real the real thing. So like you want to go like again nobody moral victory. <laughs> my favorite rapper Jay Z has a say had a saying in a song. Moral victories is for minor league coaches, and you know we're major, but at the same time you got to crawl before you walk. So to me, if we go four and zero, oh, I'm looking for the first the next two wins, and you know like you get. So I do this with the Jags, and, and a lot of Jaguar fans say, James, what what do we need to look for? So the first thing you look for is, are we playing meaningful games in November? They're like, what do you mean? I was like, am, I don't want to talk about the draft in November. Then after you get that, you okay, not if we play, if we if we're playing meaningful games in November, you're doing what you need to do. That means you win one or two games. Now you're playing meaningful games in December. That means you have a chance to make the playoffs. Will you make the playoffs? Probably not. But you don't want to be out of playoff convention before Black Friday. Just makes Thanksgiving miserable. And I got to do it. That means I got to coast through a job for two and a half months. But how does that translate to FSU? We haven't played in a bowl game 
We played in what? We played in two bowl games. Yeah, making sure I'm saying yeah, two bowl games in the last five years. You know, let's get to a bowl game first. Then let's win one more so we can get the hell out of Shreveport because I don't want to go back to Shreveport. That's terrible. I would like to get they got us listed at the Duke's no Mayo Bowl. Yeah, I was gonna say no more Independence Bowl, right? You're done yeah, yeah. with that. Yeah. I'm not necessarily a fan of Duke. I like Duke's Mayo. Don't want to play in the bowl game. But it's in Charlotte. Charlotte, North Carolina is a much better place to visit for a holiday than Shreveport, Louisiana. Sure, there's great people in Shreveport, Louisiana, just not where I want to go. So, okay, so you got your you got your games. Now, what are you what did you look like against your rivals? Did you get blown out? Did you get boat raced by Clemson? Did you get boat raced by Miami? Did you get boat raced by, by Clemson? Did you look prepared when you went out there? And, you know, it wasn't close. Was it something that you can go sell a recruit? Because like, you can't – if you go out and you lose to Miami by three touchdowns, if you go out and you lose to, to, uh, to Billy Napier by, 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 two to three, by two to three score, you cannot go to a recruit and say, we're one guy away. With two two year one coaches to, to lose right. like that against two year one coaches in state. So so here's why I tell people it's really if Mike Norvell can't win this, he's probably not the guy. Regardless. So here's why I say that. You three of your toughest games. So let's say five, there's five tough games. I'm gonna give his I'm gonna give you the historical names. Your LSUs, your Florida, and your Miami's as well, because they're still LSU, Florida, and Miami. NC State, this is this is they're peaking. This is a really good NC State team. Probably best team they've had on paper right. in quite a while. Maybe ever under Doran. Louisville has a really good quarterback coming back. Now they lost their best pass catcher. I think two of their best pass catchers. But they still pretty just a, a dynamic quarterback can get you out of a lot of things. Wake Forest would have been in there, but we lost Sam Hartman. So Sam Hartman was the heart. Three of your five toughest opponents have first-year coaches and have been have have had a ton of people transfer out. Florida and Miami are very weak along the defensive line. They have very good first-string defensive line, but their backups are, are right now. We don't know much about them. They leave a lot to be desired. Miami's offensive line leaves a lot to be desired. Florida's offensive line got better last year, but still leaves a lot to be desired. LSU lost a lot in their skill possession, their skill, their skill places, but they have a good running game. But that's that was the strength of Florida State last year was they, was how they defended the run. You played against a good running back. Boston College's running back last year was really really good. It's just a lot of those things. That, and, and, and again, as you said, you got one rival at home to end it. It's how are you going? How is this stuff going to face? I'm not saying that you got to beat win all three of those games against first year head coaches. What I'm saying is if you don't look competent against those guys, then we got to go find a guy that will make us look competent. I think Mike will have him prepared. I think he's going to be good. I'm just saying that there's a lot of things um, that are are in the favor of Mike Norvell this season. And if you can't – things can't keep falling in your lap and you not take advantage of it. Because even though COVID was tough, that was – he hasn't – to Taggart's defense – Outside of Virginia Tech, you played against um, what's the school in um, Alabama that Coach Bowden used to go to? The, the, the FCS school he played in year one. There were three NFL guys on that roster. One was a was one even started some games for the Pittsburgh Steelers at quarterback. 
you still beat them, but you you, you played against their best team. Like those guys are going to always be able to go back to the school and wear their Letterman jackets and probably get some free beer. You played against some. You played against some really really tough opponents. In the ta- Taggart's schedule was difficult from a NFL player perspective and a development perspective. Norvell's hasn't, and we you have less wins in the same amount of games. So what we got to do is take advantage of what we got. We've got more talent, and they've got to go out there. And I believe they can. Now, I believe they have potential. But anybody who's been around sports long enough. Sorry about that. I'll take that. Um, I, I'll if he can't do it again this year, I think he got crap to get off the pot. But I think they have potential, and potential is the worst word that you can have in sports because potential all potential means is you ain't this. So we got to take potential and turn it into something. You, I mean, you brought up a really good point that I didn't even really think of. Because so I was like, all right, yeah, Florida State, they go 7-5. and five. Like, I think a lot of people on the outside looking in will be excited about them going into next season. But, like, to your point, it depends on what those games are, you know, what they look like in their losses. I mean, if they lose to two in-state rivals with first-year head coaches and don't look really that all that confident doing it, especially when one of them is at home to close out the year, um, the, the big, I mean, I know Miami's the biggest rival, but Florida is right there. I mean, I know Florida State fans hate Florida. I mean, to lose to Napier year one at home and then to not look confident, oh, man. Especially if you have a chance to, like, I mean, say this is like a five-win. Say Florida State was in a position where they were, like, five and six going into the 12th game of the year there against Florida at home. You have a chance to get to a bowl game and you don't look confident against Napier. In year one, Florida State goes five and seven again. Do you think Norvell gets fired? I mean, what's the, what's the buyout like for Norvell? Like, it would have to be really, really bad. Like, it would have to really bottom out. So they still had no, to pay Taggart, right? I mean, I mean, they're still this is paying. the last year. This is the last year of Taggart, and they signed a. Um, it was a five-year contract, so you'll have two years with Norvell. So, um, you know, it's not as bad. You know, when you think about it, but I think just you know what you don't want to do. They might have been a four-year contract. I know they gave him a verbal one-year extension, but that means absolutely nothing. So the I don't think buyouts are as bad at Florida State now as it was with Tag. Now that you have a different different direction that they're going with Seminole boosters, and you have. Um, that the new athletic director Mike Alford, who is hell bent, and both of them and the new president. And one of the scariest things for any coach who's kind of on ice is having a new athletic director and a new president. Athletic director's legacy is based upon the hiring of coaches, um, typically the football coach. Um, Florida's last athlete, their current athletic director, you know, his saving grace was well, no, excuse me, the, the director before that, his saving grace was was hiring Billy Donovan. Um, and then, you know, he had Urban Meyer, but like Billy Donovan being there kind of helped him out. But you got to have somebody hit. We're not a basketball school, even though we've done pretty decent. They only care about football. That's the most important. Got to get a final record prediction out of you. I know you said they, they got to make a bowl game, but what's your what's your final record prediction? I think they're eight and four. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I can see it. I, it's a, again, it's a workable schedule. You have a really good September. I mean, if Florida State goes 4-0 in September, I think you got to get to 8-4. You got Georgia Tech, Syracuse, Louisiana down the stretch, and they got first year Florida. And then Miami is a toss-up every year. I think you got to get to 8 if, if you go 4-0 in September. Miami, and, and um, you know, to use a, a, a fighting phrase, you know, Styles, Styles make win fights. So when you look at Mario Cristobal and all the energy that he brings, and Miami being Miami with the swagger that they always have, whether win, lose, or draw, it's something that you can respect about Miami fans. They're always mad. Mario Cristobal historically is a run first coach. Um, one, he was abysmal at FIU, but I don't hold that against him. But even when he went to when he went to Oregon, and when you think about Michael Pittman, one of the reasons why he said he left, he wanted the ball thrown to him, and they had him blocking. And he wasn't about that. I mean, he was okay with it, but he also wanted his chance to catch passes and return kicks. You go, and then maybe you say Mario Cristobal is going to change as a head coach, but then he goes and he gets an offensive coordinator from Michigan who was a run-first offensive coordinator. So what does Miami not do very well that doesn't have depth that is in, at running back? One of their best players is arguably Van Dyke, who's your quarterback. But you're, you, you don't have the wide receivers you have, actually. So it's a lot of reason to be optimistic going into that game with what you have. And you just got to go out. The biggest thing for Florida State, because, again, another talk about taking the will out of somebody. You reset the PlayStation on Miami. You jumped on them, three scores, and then you you allowed them to come back, which just shouldn't have happened. Their quarterback threw three interceptions in the first half. You didn't you didn't really even capitalize in the manner in which you should have. So you got to go. You have opportunities to go out here and establish dominance and flip the script. You can change the. You can completely change the narrative. Everything that you want is is available to you. You just got to go and take it. It's kind of like a. I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm a movie. I, I I I watch movies, especially when I was in college. But one of my favorite movies is Troy. Brad Pitt did a hell of a job. I know it probably wasn't critically acclaimed, but it was some bars in that. And when when Achilles was on the uh, the beach and they were storming Troy, um, he talked to his guys and he said, "You know what's out there? It's on it's destiny, the victory. It's there, yours for the taking." And basically telling his boys to go out there. Everything is for them. It's out there. Go out there and take it. And if not, if you want to be like the little kid that came and woke him up, he said, that's the largest man I've ever seen. I wouldn't want to fight him. I'll tell those guys the same thing Achilles told the little boy. That's why no one will ever remember your name. It's tough to go to Florida State. All this pageantry, all this history, and to tell somebody you went to Florida State and they can't even Google you or nobody knows who you are. That is a waste. My son gets to experience Florida State in a way that nobody else gets to because his dad scored touchdowns with him now. That's why they call me Big Game James. It ain't because of anything sexy or anything crazy I did. I just happened to score touchdowns in big games. Kind of fits. But if a fullback can go out there and be remembered by a fan base, and, and, and it's what, 17 years since I played my last down at Florida State. Imagine being the guy that could take Florida State fans from five years of misery, of five years of mediocrity, and we get to go to a, a, a bowl game that's played after Christmas. 
man, people might name their children after them. And that's just how star Florida State is for a winner right now. I agree. It'll be interesting to see if they're able to get back there sooner rather than later. James, appreciate it, man. Got to let you plug your stuff as always. Um, you know, at Big Game, James underscore 36, check me out uh, for all things Florida State. It's also random. It's a random account. I'm sorry. I'm not a real media guy. So if you're, you know, if you're looking for a straight lays guy, that's probably not the best follow. But my, my fifth quarter, at fifth quarter on Twitter or go to fifthquarter.net. You can go check all things sports. College football is our big bait, our big focus. But we got tons of articles on a great website. And if you're really interested in NIL, you're a Florida State fan. I'm, I'm, I really dive deep into that. I have an NIL collective called Mikinope, M-I-C-C-O-N-O-P-E, 1851. Um, it's the year Florida State was established. Mikinope stands for Young Chief. Miko is a is a chief, and that's our also our biggest boosters. But we're really trying to develop. Um, million million dollar brands with student athletes. So we've been doing some really really cool things. Um, we've got partnerships with, right now with Uber, ZipRecruiter, Crypto.com, Fabletics, uh, Potential Target, um, Cash App. We're getting guys some money, man. So it's um it's really cool. Um, but these guys got to go out there and earn that bread. It ain't just giving them nothing. They've earned everything from them being who they are at this point. But as I always share with a lot of them, it sure is a hell of a lot easier to get you a lot more money when you're winning. So go out there. So my biggest thing is I want to win. Um, I want my sons to be Florida State fans. Right now, all they've known, well, my oldest son was born when we won the Natty. So he, he only got a couple of years of seeing dominance. And, but now we, um, you know, we're a little bit average. So we got to get them above average so that this generation of kids can want to um, become Florida State fans. Get everybody more money, man. I like it. I like it a lot. James, appreciate it, man. Always a pleasure having you on. Um, I'll make sure Joey... Joey knows you said hi. <laughs> Definitely, man. Enjoy, enjoy being a father, man. That's one of the best. It's one of the most thankless, greatest jobs you'll ever have. It's nobody incredible. writes, nobody writes songs about dads. Um, but everybody, but but at the same time, when you're a good one, uh, you know it. People can see it, and um, it's the it's one of the coolest. It's the, like when people ask me what I what I do for a living. Actually, it's the only thing I ever grew up wanting to be. Yeah, I didn't want to be an NFL player. I didn't know that. I didn't know any of this other stuff. I just wanted to have a kid and name them after me. And then I got I got three. So I got a, a girl and I got two boys. And hopefully when I, when I die, I don't want anybody talking about my touchdowns. I don't want anybody talking about anything. I just want people, to, I want those kids to be able to say, hey, man, my dad did a lot of stuff for me. And you were able to do a lot of cool shit because he was dope. Yeah, I'm two months in. I love it. I know Joey can say the same, just having his second. So uh, I definitely share in that sentiment. James, appreciate it, man. We'll talk soon. All right. Let's take a quick break to remind you about Section103.com. It is the Internet's premier place for buying all sorts of great officially licensed Georgia Tech apparel. They have got all sorts of great T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, uh, they've got stickers now. They've got something for the whole family, men, women, children, everything. Go check them out. Once again, it's section103.com. You're looking for shirts that are in the official tech gold. You're looking for shirts with the ATL logo on them. You're looking for other officially licensed things. Those things are hard to find in a lot of places for some reason. I don't know why. You can find them all on section103.com. Again, go, go there. Check them out. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. 
And, and again, they have some stickers that have just come out. Those, those are really cool. Everything is really high quality that I've gotten from them. Uh, I've gotten some of the performance shirts. I've got one of the hoodies. Um, everything I've got there is, is great, and it really goes great on a Saturday afternoon supporting the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets at Bobby Dodd Stadium or anywhere else. You're in the Thriller Dome. You're at uh, McCamish Stadium. You're at uh, the Rusty Sea. You are going to a volleyball game. You need something to support Georgia Tech. Go to section103.com. They have great products. They are all officially licensed. Got those official word marks, the official colors, everything. Everything you could ask for, you can go find it all there. Once again, use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order when you do go. Appreciate Steven and the gang for their partnership with Basketball Conference. We look forward to another great football season partnering with them. And now let's get back to it. Last year, I picked North Carolina to win the Coastal Division. I thought that Sam Howell coming back, I just thought that they were going to be so good with the way that they've recruited. And ultimately, the whole thing ended up in a, in a really big disappointment. Uh, UNC basically spent the entire year alternating wins and losses and ultimately lost two in a row, including the uh, the bowl game, the Dukes-Mayo Bowl, they lost to South Carolina. Uh, really a disappointing year. They finished 6-7. Six and seven. This year, I mean, you, you, you got to replace Sam Howell, but otherwise bring back quite a bit on offense. Um, again, they've recruited really well. They they're, uh, they got rid of Jay Bateman as defensive coordinator. They're bringing in Gene Chizik, which I think will be an upgrade. How much of an upgrade, we'll find out. Again, this is a program with a great roster. They, they have recruited really well the last few years under Mac Brown. They've got talent, especially on the defensive side of the ball. There are talented players over there that can be leveraged by Gene Chizik, and things have just not really gone great the last couple years under Bateman. So we'll see how much of a difference that can make. The schedule is pretty daunting as well. Uh, they do get Notre Dame at home. Uh, they have a crossover. This is finally the year they'll play Wake Forest in a, in a conference game for once. Uh, they're playing at Wake Forest in Winston-Salem in late November. They get uh, road trips at Miami. And again, a bit of a daunting schedule at App State and at Georgia State in back-to-back weeks to start the year. I don't know what the thinking on that is. That is a recipe for disaster. So just a lot of landmines on this schedule. Um, again, those two games, I think there's a decent shot you lose at least one of those. Um, Notre Dame is a very losable game. Miami on the road, Pittsburgh at home, at Wake Forest, home against NC State, all kind of scattered throughout the schedule. Lots of landmines. With as talented as they are, I think they will be better. I think Gene Chizik, once again, is an upgraded defensive coordinator. But this program, I, I just don't know if they're – going to take the next step under Mac Brown. Uh, I'm starting to wonder after kind of what a flop last year ended up being. I think this is a team that's going to go about seven and five. They'll be fine. They'll make a bowl game. Um, they'll win several games, but between just the disappointment that last year was kind of giving me some pause and then looking at this schedule and all the different landmines within it, um, I, I just don't think that North Carolina is going to really be in position late in the season to contend for the coastal division. But again, I think they'll make, they'll make a, a bowl game. They'll be fine. Um, there's a couple of options right now to replace Sam Howell. I don't know that it really matters which one they pick. Um, I think Phil Longo and that offense will be able to move the ball, score some points. I, I think a little bit more reliably even than they did last year. For whatever reason, it seemed like Sam Howell just really locked on to Josh Downs. So maybe a new quarterback will spread the ball around a little bit better and, and maybe you get a little bit better production that way. So 
Um, let's go seven and five for North Carolina. I think they'll finish like third, maybe fourth in the Coastal Division, but uh, squarely making a bowl game. And uh, we'll we'll see kind of what that means for the future of the program coming out of the season. I, I don't think they're going to fire Mac Brown, but I think there's a chance that Mac might just be you know might just lose a little bit of interest and say you know what I think I'm good. I don't think this is going to really live up to my my dreams. And uh, I'm an old man, and it's time to retire anyway. So. Seven and five for North Carolina, maybe a little bit of a ho hum season. Uh, tough schedule, but we will see. It's gonna a lot of it's gonna hinge on the defense. We'll see how that goes. Go heels. All right. So as I mentioned on the pre-roll, we have a first-time guest on Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast, Akil Guruparari from Tar Heel Blog. Akil, welcome. We're talking UNC football. Welcome to the podcast. Big year for UNC replacing Sam Howell and company, but first off, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the season getting started tomorrow. It's been a long time coming. For sure. Week zero, North Carolina, one of two week zero ACC teams playing this weekend, Florida State, of course, the other. Um, it's a real important year for both programs, so it's fitting to both of them end up playing in week zero. So, Let's start here. Let's start with staff changes, right? So a big mm-hmm. a big thing going into last year, a reason why North Carolina was ranked as highly as they were going into the year was obviously Sam Howell returning. But a big reason why was also the defense and the starters they had returning with Tamon Fox in the linebacking core, the expectations for Tony Grimes going into his sophomore year. It was a really talented group on the defensive side of the ball, and I think a lot of people expected that defense to take a big step forward last year. And the defense really did it, right? And Jay Bateman, as a result, was let go at season's end. And North Carolina brings back Gene Chizik into the fold, who, of course, has coached in North Carolina before as a defensive coordinator. He's back. So what are the expectations now? Because there's still a pretty good group on defense returning, highlighted by multiple starters up front. Of course, Tony Grimes is back. Miles Murphy, all ACC defensive end, or excuse me, defensive tackle. So it's a really talented group on defense returning, and now you have Gene Chizik back in the fold. So what are the expectations now on the defensive side heading into 2022? Yeah, so it sounds like um, from basically everything that's come out around the program that a lot of the problems on defense were just caused by some sort of staff dysfunction. Like we don't really know what the details of it were, and we might never, you know, coaching rooms are closed to all of us. But it sounds like there was some sort of disconnect between Bateman and the players or maybe Bateman and his staff. And the real hope with having Gene Chizik back is like now basically everyone on defensive staff is people who have either worked together before or have worked with people who have worked together. There's a lot more continuity on the staff. So those disconnects, it's hoping that'll be solved. I think they'll be running more or less the same stuff. Like they basically just run a base, the same base that Nick Saban uses at Alabama and hope the players can run it right. So I don't think the defense is going to be changing much, but like the relationships and communication are what's really, really uh, going to be emphasized. Uh, Hopefully that's been worked out. Um, You know, that's what Chiswick made a name for himself at at UNC the first time around where he had a much less talented defense, but they were on the same page. So they could kind of at least hold their, hold, hold their own. At this time, it's a much more talented defense and, the defensive line in particular is really, really stacked at this point. Um, that's been where a bulk of Mac Brown's recruiting improvements have been. And so now his recruits are finally upperclassmen. There's like a real, really talented rotation of defensive line. So hopefully with uh, pressure and run support from the front four, everything follows from that. 
I'm curious from, you know, someone who covers UNC from the perspective of Mac Brown in terms of, you know, what he's done in his, you know, return from Chapel Hill. Because I think the, the recruiting's been out of this world, right? North Carolina's been recruiting at a clip we really haven't ever seen. You know, it's been really, really impressive what he's been able to do. He and his staff have been able to do on the recruiting trail. But it has felt like with North Carolina's more talented teams and, and with Sam Howell at quarterback, you know, the last few seasons, it's felt like they've just consistently fallen short of expectations despite the teams that they've had, you know, in tow. From an outsider's perspective, that's just kind of how, how it's felt, right? Hmm. From someone who covers the program on a, on a day-to-day basis, I mean, what is your assessment of Mac Brown in terms of his second tenure and, and what he's done on the field with the talent that he's recruited? I think you're not totally wrong, but I also think that uh, uh, I've written a Tar Heel blog about this as well. I think this is really the year where the Mac Brown uh, concept gets proven or disproven. Um, I think, uh, you know, he was left with a pretty bereft defensive roster and the offense is like the offensive roster was good, but the offense was also good immediately once Mac Brown took over and we had a quarterback. Um, but uh, last year felt to a lot of people, you know, uh, the, the ranking may have been a little bit high, but I don't think it was that high preseason, but it felt like a year where, you know, it would stop becoming a rebuilding program and start becoming Mac Brown's program. and this year uh like you know given what happened last year the disappointment um you know going zero and six on the road finishing uh six and seven with two really bad losses at the end of the year um definitely like i think the runway has run out and this is the season where you know you're replacing sam howell but the team is probably as talented as it's been this side of 2000 and you know i'm not looking for that kind of, like the best results since 2000 as a result i know it's only the first year you've got some new staffing things but at least showing that you can be a team with that shows signs of being you know at the upper echelons of the sport like you have a probably top 18 talented roster in the country like at least played a top 25. um i think this is the first year that mac brown's really facing expectations from the fan base myself included because he's had like this you know, he go, he bought a lot of goodwill with recruiting. He turned things around from a program that had won five games in two years. Like, he did that really great. It's just time to prove that he can do more. Yeah, I think that I think that's totally fair. Because um, I think you think back to the last couple of years of Larry Fedora. I mean, North Carolina went from a team with Marquise Williams and then Trubisky to really falling off. And then he's let go. Mac Brown is a, is a splash hire, you know, coming out of coming out of retirement and his TV job. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a splash hire for him to return to North Carolina. Um, obviously, since the last time he was at Carolina, he won a national championship in Texas. So it was a big time hire. It was a hire that a lot of people questioned, but when he turned things around so quickly, you know, the winning the five games in two years, turning it around from what it was when he showed up, everybody was like, you know what, maybe we were wrong about Matt Brown. Because that hire, like, while it was a splash hire, it was scrutinized by a lot of people. Oh, saying, yeah, definitely. Can he, actually, can he actually do it again? He's been out of football for almost a decade or a decade or more. Like, can he come back and coach in this, like, new era of college football? And with the quick turnaround, getting him back to a bowl game, it was like, okay, yeah, he can. And now mm-hmm. the question is, can they be, like, the 8, 9, 10, 11 win version 
right. Carolina that I think a lot of people are expecting with the team that he's recruited, I guess. Yeah. I, so like beyond what you're even saying, I think um, uh, what a lot of people were thinking at the time was that like Mac, like Mac was essentially a glory days hire that like the way that we would get alumni and stuff to foot the bill for buying out Larry Fedora would be to hire someone that they had like nice memories of from when they were yep. younger or were college students. And then, you know, he goes out and hires two coordinators that he's never worked with before and Phil Longo and Jay Bateman. So like that was the first sign that he was like doing something for real. Um, which like has mostly stayed. Um, like I said, I the the pull the appeal of the defensive staff now is that like everyone on defensive staff is someone who has either worked with or uh, played under Mac as a coach or player. Um, so you know, to me, like the, uh, hopefully that works out. I think if it doesn't, it's a little bit more fuel for those people who questioned it in the first place, thinking it was like kind of a a glory days kind of thing or like a going back to the past to solve problems of the present. But I don't know. We'll we'll see once the games start. Um, but it does sound like from what defensive players are saying all over the place that things have been fixed that were not before, even if we don't know what those things are. That's fair. So I guess how long do you think the leash is in terms of like I don't think Matt Brown is in like immediate danger of being fired or anything like that. But like mm -hmm. what, how long do you think the leash is in terms of like if Carolina falls short of like reasonable expectations this year of like winning, let's say winning like eight games, we'll get into record predictions later, stuff like that. But let's mm -hmm. say like they fall short of winning eight games, which I think is very doable given Carolina's schedule, right? Let's say it falls short of that, again, given the talent that he continues to recruit and he's got another mm -hmm. good class coming in 23. Like what, how long do you think this leash is in terms of like his longevity in Chapel Hill? Um, I, so that's a really tough thing to answer. So I know he's been, more or less like his own boss as like since he's back come back to campus um he's had the power to reschedule games this uh week zero game was originally i think scheduled for week four but um the opening last season on the road uh with a conference game left such a bad taste in his mouth that he kind of scheduled a week zero fcs team uh that had not been planned for before so I, there are a lot of writers. I know Brendan Marks at The Athletic is one of them who say like his position is essentially that of Roy Williams at this point. Like when he leaves, it'll be by his own design and it'll probably be like, you know, he he may well be the kind of person who's like, I'm not doing this right anymore. Let me just like walk out on my own terms. But I know Brendan Marks is of the opinion that he just like, he's too much of a big guy to get uh, fired by the staff. Like he's like, they've invested earned by um his bosses like they've invested too much goodwill in him to do that um i don't know so i'm not sure that's true uh i don't know how much pressure he was feeling to fire uh jay bateman first of all or um anyone else on staff i so yeah it to me you know if i was his boss i'd say like you know six or seven wins this season and his seat's at least red hot if not like you know uh if not some uh, like show don't show progress over the season and i'd really really be considering letting him go but i don't know if the administration at unc feels the same way all right in terms of the the offense returning so sam howell obviously not not back right but there is a very talented crew returning antoine green josh Downs, i like the receiving core um the running game should be pretty good senior british brooks is back and then george Petaway, a really talented freshman coming in as well like this is still going to be a very talented North Carolina offense, even with 
Drake May running the show. I guess the question is how easily can you replace Sam Howell? I guess it's the biggest question on the offense coming into the year. Uh, yeah, uh, that would have been the biggest question about two weeks ago. Now, uh, two of the names that you mentioned are at least out for the first about uh, quarter of the season. Um, Antoine Greens has an injury that'll keep him out at least until the Notre Dame game, I think. And British Brooks is out for the season. Um, so, like you said, there's there should be enough talent on both of those in both of those groups to kind of offset it right away. There might just be some growing pains, but obviously the big question is about Sam Howell and you know without a doubt Sam Howell is the best quarterback in North Carolina history um but I think like last year he had so much on his shoulders that like he had to be a half of the running game and he also like very very clearly didn't trust any receivers not named Josh Downs by the end of the year um and like pretty fairly like not a lot of people were getting open a lot of the people who got open weren't really you know, didn't have reliable hands. So there was like, there was just a little bit of a disconnect there as well. So the hope is that maybe hopefully the offensive line's a little improved this year. Um, they've turned over a lot of positions, but it was like um, last year's line was among the worst in the country at pass protection. And they, uh, they've hired a new offensive line coach, Jack Bicknell, which I thought was really, really sorely needed. Um, like I thought that was a way more important change to make than at, uh, defensive coordinator from the outside looking in um so they made that change and jack mcnell's lines at louisville the last two years were actually very very good so i'm a little bit i'm pretty optimistic that at the very least drake may is going to have a little bit more time uh on two feet than sam hell did and that maybe offset some of the difference between like a third year player who was again the best quarterback in north carolina history and someone who's being their first uh their first action even as talented and as highly touted as drake was coming in So I guess given given the turnover on the offensive line, we mentioned new offensive line coach, probably for the best, given the pressure that Howell has been under for a couple of years, right? And mm -hmm. having a freshman quarterback breaking him in, obviously really important to have an offensive line that keeps him upright. What are what are fair expectations for this offensive line? I mean, I, I know the hope is that they'll be better than they've been the last couple of seasons with new personnel um, and a new offensive line coach. But what do you think is reasonable in terms of like the jump that they should or should not make, I guess, from from the last couple of years well it's a really experienced group nonetheless you know it's not the group that was starting last year but um left tackle awesome richards uh has is i think entering his third year starting um the left guard should be ed montalis who's played a lot of snaps and was a starter as a true freshman before getting um beaten out by joshua zudu who was a third round nfl draft pick this year um, the center, I think, is going to have Corey Gaynor starting a transfer from Miami, a grad transfer. Um, and then at right guard and right tackle, it looks like we'll have William Barnes and Spencer Rollins. Spencer Rollins is a grad transfer from Harvard. And Barnes is someone who's been in the program a while but hasn't played a ton. But everyone in the program sounds really excited about him. Like he was the highest rated recruit of his class, and he's finally kind of seeing the field. So I don't think anyone on the group, anyone on the offensive line is younger than a senior. So they've all been in college football for a long time. Uh, so, you know, they should be, they should have like the size and experience to handle what's being thrown at them. Even if there are some like chemistry, there's some chemistry stuff to work out as the year goes by. Um, but I don't see any reason that this line should be worse than what Louisville was doing the past couple of years with Bicknell. And I think 
Mikhail Cunningham's probably taken less sacks than all but two quarterbacks in the ACC. Yeah, yeah, it's been yeah, their offensive line's been a disaster. Um, it's one of the big reasons why Louisville is kind of in the state that they're in, and Satterfield's kind of on a little bit of a hot seat. It's like they have not been able to protect probably. I mean, I know they have Lamar Jackson, but Cunningham is one of the best quarterbacks they've had in probably two decades. <laughs> and he's not Lamar Jackson, but he's pretty damn good, and they just haven't been able to keep him upright consistently. Um, okay, so let's talk about running back real quick because with British Brooks out for the year, Petaway's a really, really talented freshman. I mean, it's easy to look at two young guys leading the offense in Petaway and Drake may be like, all right, these two freshmen are going to kind of that we know they're talented, mm -hmm. but can they really be as talented as we need them to be in year one? Um, we've seen plenty of freshmen step in and be good before. Yeah. Um, um, what do you think? What do you think fair expectations for, for yeah. the duo of may and, and uh, Petaway? Yeah. Petaway is really good. They're also really excited about O'Mary and Hampton, who was a running back, like not rated far behind uh, Petaway and, uh, for like a North Carolina recruit, so he's gotten a lot more kind of local buzz. Petaway's for, uh, from Richmond. Um, so, you know, there's those two. There's also Caleb Hood, who came in last year and showed some promise, and DJ Jones, who was like at least consistent. There's a lot of people uh, at running back that UNC can play and who are at least serviceable. So that's really the floor is like, you know, those two could not play, and UNC could probably still have like a middle of the pack running game. Uh, I think the more they get on the field, it just means that like there's a there's enough trust in them to be better than them because having them is a luxury. It's not somewhere that like uh, the Tar Heels are desperately looking at to for help right now. Um, so you know the more Petaway and Hampton get on the field, I think the more successful of a season UNC is having. Like not as a correlation, but just as a kind of uh, one thing lead to the other. Um, and I think uh, I don't know. I think I'm cautiously optimistic about Drake. Uh, you know, he's not going to be starting uh, as a true freshman, which is really great. He's already had a, basically a year and a half uh, in Chapel Hill to be learning the offense, to be kind of practicing with his teammates. So that's a big point in his favor. Um, and I mean, like Mays have been doing it in Chapel Hill since the, uh, since the 90s, at least since the 80s. So he's definitely got the genes for it. Um, I think like I don't I don't think a lot I don't think a ton is being put on his shoulders. Hopefully the defense is like hopefully his supporting cast generally is has been improved enough as the goal. But I think he'll be good. I don't know if he'll be like the ACC is such a stacked quarterback league that I don't know if he'll be like a premier ACC quarterback right away. But I'm also not sure that he needs to be. That's fair. So I mean I think the <clears throat> the onus will really be on the defense. I think it should be given the talent returning. Um, I know there's a couple questions at linebacker because, you know, when a guy like Timon Fox leaves, who was one of the best linebackers in school history, there's naturally going to be some questions there, but still a really talented group returning on defense. Yeah. Um, a lot of returners. Uh, so Cedric Gray played, um, was probably the heels' best off-ball linebacker last year. Timon Fox, more of a pass rusher. Um, and he's coming back and he's hopefully in line for a good season uh, in the, like at field general. And like I said before, the defensive line is just really, really stacked. Um, Miles Murphy, you mentioned at the top of the show, he was, uh, you know, all ACC player last year. Um, Javari Ritzy was a high four-star recruit next to him. Rava Hasek's been really, really consistent for a really long time. Um, 
and even Travis Shaw, who's a true freshman this year from Greensboro, but was like the number six player in the country. He might play a little. He's really, really good. Uh, so the middle of the defensive line. And then on the outside, there's guys like Kamon Rucker, who had a really good year last year, and Des Evans, who was really highly recruited, but um, hadn't quite put things together until the end of the season last year. And hopefully he, uh, word around the program is that he's doing a lot better with Chizik than he was with Bateman. Um, maybe getting his role a little bit simplified, playing with his hand in the dirt a little more. Uh, and he's like really physically talented. So if he's putting stuff together, it's really, really good news for the Tar Heel defense as well. Um, and then in the secondary, Tony Grimes is obviously great. Uh, got, you know, picked on in some games last year, but usually bounced back. And then uh, Storm Duck, if he's healthy, is really good. And there's uh, that's one of the places where the UNC has seen like a lot of year-over-year development as well. So uh, I don't expect them to have problems at cornerback. Safety is really the big concern area for me. Um, UNC safety's definitely lost them the NC State game last year and probably a couple of others. And they're also going coaching turnover because Jay Bateman also coached safeties before he left. Um, and they've got Charlton Moore in there now who coached defensive backs at UNC before, but was um, one of the guys that Chizik brought over with him. So that's a group that might have some pains and I hope it's not so, so bad. Uh, they've also, like the star of the group is also Jaquarius Conley and he's injured to start the season. So that's where I think the primary questions about this roster are and hopefully the rest can make up for them and they're not really needed to save anything. So let's take a look at the schedule. So this is workable. I mean, I September, well, I mean, August, I guess August, right? <laughs> but you got Florida A&M though, but at App State, at Georgia State, serviceable programs, but two games that UNC should be favored in. And then a stretch of Notre Dame and Virginia Tech at home before traveling at Miami at Duke, and then two weeks off before home against Pittsburgh at the end of October. I, I think that the story of this season really will be September and October. Yeah, definitely. Um, I really like that the way that it works out that you have three games that really sh like if they're not more or less warm-ups like no disrespect to uh, Florida A&M and Georgia State and App State like all very very good programs at their level but they're not power five programs and if the if UNC is going to show that they're like a legitimate power five threat like those should be games that they win going away um, if they don't then it's time to start asking some of those questions we were talking about um, so I like that it works out that way and you've got things going like you've got a good rhythm ahead of Notre Dame and Virginia Tech at home and then you've got Miami who you know Miami seems like they're going to be good every year but Tyler like if if this year seems like a year to believe it more than most years um, I don't know maybe maybe this is I don't know if the U is completely back but they're at least scary um, you know in the like spooky area so the, that three-game stretch, like if UNC can come out of the first six games, or I think Duke is in between them, the first seven games and have won like five of them, then they're doing really, really well. Uh, you know, if they've won less than four, then, you know, the season's probably already gone belly up. And then, you know, if it's if they're four and three kind of having lost to, I don't know, it would be App, Virginia Tech, Notre Dame. They're then you know they're you're fighting so that's 
I think those first seven games, you win five and you're looking really, really good for the rest of the season. Yeah, because I mean, November, it's it's at Virginia with, you know, I think Carolina should be paired in that game. I, I know they have Brandon Armstrong returning, but outside of that, there's a lot of talent lost and it's the first year coaching staff, so there are plenty of questions with UVA. Mm-hmm. Wake Forest, I mean, depends on what's going on with Hartman. If Sam Hartman's right. healthy in November, you know, Wake's a really, really good football team. If not, then, you know, we, we, yeah, we know what the drop off is. Right. It's tough to win with a backup quarterback, especially at Wake Forest, considering what mm-hmm. Hartman is, you know, is a top 10 quarterback in the country when he's healthy. Right. Um, so that that game totally hinges on Hartman's health. Georgia Tech's a walkover. They might not even, Jeff Collins might not be even in his job by then. And then mm-hmm. NC State looks like, I mean, NC State's a team that could win the ACC potentially if, if Clemson has another kind of rocky year. NC State's had a really, probably the best team in 15 years on paper anyway. So, this feels like, again, September, the Florida A&M game's a walkover, but September and October, I think, really will tell the story of the season for North Carolina. Because mm-hmm. I think once you get into November, there are some winnable games there against, and a couple toss-ups, but some winnable games in there. And I think that NC State game at the end of the year, especially if Carolina's good and ends up being as good as I think people think they can be. Mm-hmm. That game has a bit more juice than I think it's had in a long oh, time. Oh, definitely. It, it, like, it's already been a really good game several of the past few years. Like, right. I think, like, quality of the teams notwithstanding. Like, last year's game, by all accounts, should not have been close. And yet, right. we got a barn, barn burner out of it. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. I Like, State's going to be pretty good. I'm hoping that, you know, if, if Carolina, like, if the things are breaking, if things are breaking right for Carolina, that'll be two really, really good teams that always play each other well anyways. Yeah, no, totally agree. Um, so where are you at with a projected projected win loss for Carolina this year? Um, I God, let me pull up the schedule real quick. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm kind of sometimes I'm a little bit more pessimistic. Right now, I think it's just like the rush of football season getting here, and I'm feeling a little more confident. <laughs> Yep. Um, but but like I think pretty comfortably they should go eight and four. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what it feels like. Like there's enough winnable games on the schedule, and like there's a lot of teams that are ranked preseason, but like Wake Forest is a big question mark. Yeah. Kenny Pittsburgh's a big question mark. Like I don't think you replace Kenny Pickett and Jordan Addison in the same season and don't have a drop off as good as they were last right. year. Exactly. Um, yeah. Right. So. And then, like you said, there's a lot of winnable games that, like, those are the games that, like, if UNC is the program that they expect to be, then those are games that you have to win. And if they're not, then, like, there are bigger questions. But I think, I'm not sure there's, like, a middle ground with this team as a thing. It's, like, they'll either win eight or they'll win, like, five. And then, like, things, like, the wheels will just have come off. Because if they're the team that wins against App State, particularly, like that's a good team. They're that's a good team. Like, yeah, it's a good football team. They're playing. I think they're like 40th in the country and receiving votes or something. So yeah, they're a team yeah. that most Power Five teams should be, but they're not a team that you can just look past. Right. Like, I think that game particularly tells you a lot about how the rest of the season is going to go. And if you lose that, then suddenly you're looking at like hanging on to bowl eligibility. Yeah, and I understand like. And I'm a Virginia Tech alum, full disclosure. So, like, mm-hmm. I understand Mac Brown, like, coming into this year, not wanting to go on the road in conference in week one. 
but right. going like week zero Florida A&M and then going on the road to a really good G5 school is not the easiest beginning to the year. Either yeah, because I think that, that, that game had been scheduled for a while. I think I think that was scheduled yeah. with the one that we had the when we hosted them in 2019. Right. Um, I mean, App State is one of those schools, too. It's like it's in the state of North Carolina. They would love to win that game for a lot of different reasons. Oh, yeah. And it's going to be one of the biggest games of their season. And it's it's going to be at the top of their list in September to try to knock off the targets. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's a tough game. Um, and Georgia State, I mean, Georgia State's got a good program, too. But there's a clear drop off between App State and Georgia mm -hmm. State, in my, in exactly. my opinion, in 2022. Yeah, I'm... I think I'm going to go eight and four. Um, I could see, I could see seven and five, you know, if, mm -hmm. you know, I think to get to seven and five, Carolina would have to drop either app state or um, maybe, maybe the Virginia tech game. I'm, I'm trying to pick like winnable games, like games where I think Carolina will be favored that maybe they drop like app state, Virginia tech, maybe on the road at UVA. Like those types of games where it's like Carolina's probably favored, but I don't know if they're going to. I don't know if they ultimately win the game. I think mm -hmm. getting getting Virginia Tech at home, I think, is a huge help. Yeah, going on the road to App State is is scary hours, like I just mentioned, and then going on the road to Virginia at the beginning of November. You know, especially if Virginia is competitive in the Coastal, which I'm not sure they will be, but if they're right. if they're semi competitive by November, that's not an easy road game either. So Definitely. I think in order for Carolina to get to like seven and five, they'd probably have to drop one of those three very right. winnable games. Yeah. Um, I think like I, that, that's basically the question is like if they, it, th those are the two games that are kind of like take care of business games where right. there's just enough that could go wrong. Right. Um, but I think that's what Vegas is scared of because I think the Vegas over under right now is seven and a half for yeah. for UNC. It's damn good so, line, and I, th I think you're exactly right. Like those are the two games where it's like they're probably favored in both, but the odd like this Vegas odds of winning both are probably around sixty percent. Yeah, it's a damn good win loss line, and mm -hmm. Virginia Virginia Tech is at six and a half, and uh -huh. I've, all summer I've been bouncing between six and seven because I'm like, oh, maybe they get a dead cat bounce with like Brent Pry coming in. It's like, okay, it'll be better. <laughs> be better yeah, than it was there last is, year. There's one site that had UNC six and a half instead of seven and a half, and everyone in UNC media, like popular on on UNC football Twitter, was just like, hammer that one, just hammer. Yeah six and a half yeah. like there's like you're, you're gonna have a lot more to worry about like than the 50 dollars you bet on it if yeah, exactly. they're not winning seven games exactly no I'm, I'm with you i think um i think in order for carolina to not win at least seven stuff has gone incredibly wrong for the second year in a row um yeah. i think this is it feels like a, it feels like six wins would be like the floor if everything went wrong um, I just think there's too much talent on this team. And I think the schedule sets up well, you know, the tougher, games, right, are yeah. the tougher games are at home at, aside from going on the road to Miami and maybe going to Wake Forest, but the toughest games are at home, North, Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, NC State, Pittsburgh, all at home. I mean, that's a yep. great setup, even though you go on the road to app. So I, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go eight and four. I'm with you. I think they go probably like five and three in conference. Um, I think that sounds about right. And probably three and one outside of it. Maybe they lose to Notre Dame and win the first three like they're supposed to. That, that's kind of what I'm going to stick with, I think. Mm -hmm. All right, so Carolina should be pretty good. Probably a top three team in the Coastal. Um, Mac Brown probably staves off doubters. 
for another year or two. Yeah, I, I think. Where he's at. Yeah, it, yeah, eight and four, like, it, it, like don't get embarrassed in a good bowl game, and right, you, like, um, and then yeah, I think you've got probably staff continuity, and then setting up really right. well for the future. I like the change as a hire. Um, I know people are kind of lukewarm on it. I, I like it. I, I think it's he's he's run good defenses at UNC recently. So I think with with and to your point with less talent and there's more talent mm-hmm. on this defense than Chizik ever had um, as, as a defense coordinator at North Carolina. Obviously, had plenty of talent as head coach at Auburn. Right. But this is this is the most defensive talent he's had um, while on staff at UNC. So I think it'll be a it'll be a better unit this year with lower expectations nationally. This is not a North Carolina team that's coming into the year preseason top ten. I thought that right. they were probably ranked. You mentioned this um, a little bit earlier. I meant to touch on this. You mentioned that UNC was probably a little bit overranked last year, coming in like number, I think they're preseason number 10 in the AP. I mean, I thought that was a top 20 team. I wasn't sure. And again, preseason rankings. Right. I'm of the opinion, maybe you shouldn't rank anybody until like the end of September. (laughs) But um, I think having North Carolina's preseason top 20 team last year was pretty reasonable. Top 10 seemed a little high. Mm -hmm. This is a Carolina team that I think could exceed lower expectations. Yep, um, it could be a better team than a year ago with less national media hype around them. I think this would mm-hmm. be a pretty decent North Carolina team for sure. Cool. Yeah. Akil, thanks for joining us, man. I want to give you an opportunity, of course, to, to plug your stuff where you're at. Yeah. Um, so I'm at Tar Heel Blog, UNC's SB Nation site. It's at targillblog.com. Uh, we're really excited to have the season start up and we'll have a lot of great coverage once once we're up. Akil, we'll definitely have you on once again, man. Really appreciate you jumping on today. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been great.